2: Welcome to the Wire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by NoHalftime.com. Derek Van Riper, joined today by Tim Heaney as we get ready for week three of the NFL season. We've got some pressing questions, injuries to talk about. That's the main theme this week, of course, after the bloodbath that was uh, week two. We're going to talk about some players we like on DraftKings this weekend. Get a few uh, difficult sit-start questions in there as well. And, And maybe if there's time, we'll try to further diagnose what exactly is wrong uh, with that green bay offense uh tim it sounds like you made it out of your birthday weekend in in one piece so uh, what was the preferred uh beverage last friday night
1: uh what was i drinking actually that's a good sign i don't remember that that's that usually led to a good good birthday celebration that's a good uh, though, yeah yeah uh just some nondescript you know craft beers i hadn't tried yet you know i wanted to have something new and I decided not to go with the old favorite. So the Belgian beers, which are usually my favorite, I just kind of want to stay away from those. And I actually did some karaoke with a bunch of people in New York City, which if you guys have never done that or any big city, it's. It's a pretty good experience uh, just to sit around with a bunch of friends and just shout stuff and, you know, miss miss sing lyrics in different tune in different keys and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was a good birthday overall. Drinking was lighter than usual. I think thirty three. I was like, all right, I don't need to get sloppy right now, but maybe next time. Thirty four. You never know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Ever ever since uh, I saw the the movie, this is 40. I, I have been just ruining every birthday. And that movie came out, I think, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I watched it one night just thinking, okay, it'll be kind of like, you know, knocked up like a typical Judd Apatow, just like kind of goofy, not not the world's greatest comedy, but good enough to watch. And I'll, I'll laugh a few times. It'll be fine. And I watched it and I wanted to throw my TV out the window just to never accidentally watch it again. And I was thinking about how depressing that movie actually is after I was watching it and it came up. I was talking to some other. Uh, some people I know that are that are a bit older. They're they're over forty. They have kids that are growing up, getting into that like middle school, high school age, and they thought the movie was hilarious. Like, oh, that's totally real. And I, I just looked at them. I was like, are you serious? Like, that's that's the trajectory I'm on. Like, if I if I have a family, my life is going to turn out like that movie. And they all seem to think that that's like very normal.
1: Yeah, I mean, Apatow has a twinge of depressing reality in most of his comedies and very interesting to, to read beyond that stuff. I mean, you know, the messaging there is definitely, a, you know, make sure your life, which is difficult, has a little bit of laughter in it. And, you know, it, it, it gets tedious, the plots, you know, they get, they repeat the themes and stuff like that. But I haven't seen that one yet. So maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll get that same urge you do if I get the chance.
2: You really should avoid it at all costs. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's, it's labeled a comedy. I... I Maybe maybe if you watch it like 20 years from now, you'll look back at it and laugh or something. But man, I I would I would not recommend it to anybody. And if that is reality tweet at me at Derek Van Riper, let me know. Just advise me to do whatever it is I have to do to avoid that becoming my real life, because I do not want that to happen. Uh, But speaking of real life, uh, last night actually happened. The Thursday night (laughs) game between the Texans and Patriots was real. Bill Belichick won a game 27 to nothing against a team that could win its division this year in the Houston Texans uh, on a night where the Patriots played their third string quarterback, targeted Rob Gronkowski one time, and only threw for 103 yards. Like, that's to me, is, that's doing the bare minimum and winning as easily as you can possibly win. Basically, a, a win that's on the same level as what San Francisco did to Los Angeles in week one.
1: And even what and even what LA did to Seattle in week two a little bit there, uh, yeah. I mean that that that's a very Belichickian win just to kind of you know pick a game plan and stick to it. You know limit what J- Jacoby Brissett has to do and you know keep keep him on the run to play to his strengths and most importantly they just controlled the line of scrimmage like no one's business. Even though they the running wasn't as consistent despite the fact that LeGarrette Blount looked really good and had a couple of really big runs, uh, they just kept Brock Osweiler you know tap dancing and, and falling down most of the time. That defense uh, made, some, made some nice plays on it, kept, kept that uh, control of the pocket going. And yeah, that, that was a case where they, they just kind of, you know, played as conservatively as possible, to, to, you know, kept the home field advantage going. And really ugly win in, in, in fantasy, but in real life it's probably the way they drew it up perfectly.
2: Yeah, they're looking at it right now. They're 3-0 and in a season that has begun with their backup starting two games and their third stringer, a rookie no less starting the third. Uh, we'll see what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo between now and week four, of course. He's dealing with a shoulder injury, uh, but Jacoby Brissett wasn't asked to do a lot, didn't have to because they were protecting the lead the whole game. Mostly was just handing the ball off to Garrett Blount, uh, but he did eight carries of his own for 48 yards and a TD, including that being a 27-yard run. Uh, we didn't see a lot of Julian Edelman in this one, only six targets. It was a team high by a, a reasonably large margin. As I mentioned, Grant targeted once, no catches, had a heating pad on his leg, With like nine minutes to go in the first quarter. And at that point, if you were me and you looked at Gronk and said he's active, I got to use him. You were feeling horrible. Like I, I used him in four leagues yesterday, Tim, because I thought if they think he's healthy enough to do anything, they're going to use him. And even if they water down the game plan when they throw it, it's Edelman or Gronk and that's it. And I thought he was actually a safe play and it just burned me badly.
1: Yeah, I I advised a a wire reader to play Gronk over uh, Jack Doyle, which you know normally you, I, I wouldn't hesitate to say that. Uh, but the fact that you know obviously Brissett was behind center it makes you think that maybe they would use Gronk more as a blocker. He's obviously still a very good blocker. That's that's what he does really well. You know, slash being a decoy and all that uh, help with you know tempering JJ Watt a little bit. Uh, but I don't think he was even on the field all that much to really help with that, and they just had him active as as an extra body and. Uh, still, the way the tight ends have been, I, I still would take my would have taken my chances with that anyway because the the gap between talent, obviously, when everyone's healthy, is you know astronomical. And I'm I'm of the belief that I don't like watching players blow up on my bench all the time in situations like that, especially if it's a Thursday night game. You can kind of correct that a little bit, especially as a volatile position as tight ends. So I I, I wanted to go with the, the the known guy in that situation anyway. I would, have, I would have I would have placed my bets on that as well.
2: A morning of regret, but one in which I think if you had to go through the process again not knowing the outcome you'd come to the exact same conclusion so you you really Mm -hmm. can't have changed what you did because you would have assumed the same logic and I I just I don't know I don't think think it was mind games I think it was just the way that game worked out the Patriots pretty quickly realized we don't have to bother putting him on the field like he's an emergency plan if we need him if we go down or something but little more than that Uh, Lamar Miller got volume again 21 carries 80 yards also caught a few passes Four, to be precise, 27 yards, so 107 yards from scrimmage. Did get looked at briefly uh, with what seemed like a minor knee injury, but it was back on the field. Looked a little uncomfortable running a route late in the game, but then had a couple carries and looked fine, so probably a minor injury that goes away uh, with the long layoff heading into week four. I think the problem, if you're the Texans, though, is that as good as your team might be, and that might just be good enough to win the AFC South, I don't think they're good enough to win more than a four or five matchup in the playoffs. And even that could really be a stretch depending on how they match up with a five seed. Should it come to that? I mean, are you looking at the Texans with Brock Osweiler and seeing them as a team that's good enough to even win that division? Or do you see a flawed Colts team or perhaps even um, a surging Titans squad being the team that actually comes away as the champions of that division?
1: Yeah, I don't think their weaknesses are enough for J.J. Watt's presence to mask. Obviously, Brian Cushing hurt again, hurt that defense a lot, and we kind of saw that a little bit last night with with the, all the blunt running. Um, yeah, Osweiler, they, you know, obviously take a chance on a guy like that as a franchise quarterback, not much experience, but look good in a system that pretty much controlled uh, his abilities and, and maximized his abilities. I don't know if Bill O'Brien's the same type of guy that – can really adjust to his quarterback the same way uh, with that. And, you know, he had 41 attempts last night. That's why I only had 196 passing yards. That's that's not what you want to see in a situation like that. Obviously, Belichick's a guy that's going to game plan almost per- perfectly with weaknesses like that. But, yeah, the, the Texans in comparison to some of the other teams, I think if their woes compound a bit more, it's definitely not not a certain that they're going to win that division, especially, you know, if Andrew Luck does happen to carry the load of, of, of a flawed Colts team or, like you said, Maybe the Titans' defense is really onto something the last couple of games, and Mariona, all he has to do is just kind of guide them with that great running game. Yeah, it's the Texans, they're not, a, they're not a good team right now, but they have potentially be a great team if they fix all that. I think the odds of that are going to take a while to really uh, formulate.
2: Will Fuller owners, if they had him going, disappointed. DeAndre Hopkins owners, not particularly happy either, because especially with that volume from while you would expected more. From Hopkins in particular, I thought Fuller was a player who was risky coming into the matchup because Belichick and his defenses under Matt Patricia have been very good at taking away uh, deep threats or a a top wideout option. I didn't think they could really take away Hopkins. I think that's how they go through this. They look at the game plan and they say, can we actually completely neutralize a player like a Hopkins if they're going up against the Bengals like an A.J. Green? And the answer to that is probably no. So the next best thing is to take away the second threat and to try to make a team very very one-dimensional.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, sometimes you double team the mediocre guy and put your your top guy on on the top receiver or vice versa, just to kind of, you you know, s- stop that one side of the field, and then you can sh- you know sh- shuffle the rest of your defense over that way. So yeah, they're very good at kind of targeting that guy. You, you, it's kind of you do have to watch. You know, you say coach speak doesn't mean much every week, but you do have to kind of watch if they say something about a certain player. Like they did say Will Fuller. I saw in the media they they said they were really impressed by how Fuller started, and you know that's kind of a. Might might have been a hint that they were planning on neutralizing him a little bit more.
2: Yeah, that's what that's what it seemed like. And they kind of did the same thing with John Brown in week one. But Brown, of course, had a concussion uh, back right. in the preseason. So that may have been the overriding factor. Let's take a look at some of the uh, injury information that's going to be pertinent for this week three. Sammy Watkins just seems like he's not going to go. I think he's officially questionable. Was not on the field to start a practice on Friday, Tim. I'm already down on him because I I think you look at the Bills as a team that have fired their offensive coordinator they don't have a lot of weapons to draw attention away from him and you're talking about a star player who's just not even close to 100 percent healthy right now even if he's out there against arizona i'm not convinced that sammy watkins is a must play right now for season-long owners
1: no not at all and that's a tough secondary to go against even when you're healthy and when when he's got a you know basically to be a season-long issue i think and you know, people say that you know going to Buffalo is going to be tough for Arizona because it's a cross country trip. I think the Cardinals are probably one of the exceptions in that when it comes to defense. I, I think that that defense plays anywhere well, and yeah, I, I'm I'm not one to be trusting Watkins unless he's like a desperation flex play. And I think that they're, that they're going to bully around. Uh, you know, that that off that offensive line of Buffalo that's really looking weak so far.
2: Moving on to another sort of surprising injury in this case, Delaney Walker seems to be a little dinged up with a hamstring injury. Uh, Looks like a legitimate concern for the Titans. Could become a game-time decision depending on what happens over these next 46 hours or so, recording this a little after when kickoff would be uh, on Sunday as of Friday early afternoon. Uh, But he did miss Friday's practice, so technically questionable and actually like the real kind of questionable, as we'll call it, with the probable designation going away this NFL season. Uh, With Walker, if he's out, I just feel like that really increases the value of Tajay Sharp, who's become kind of that go-to option behind Walker in the Titans offense for Marcus Mariota.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the, the the easy way to go with this one. Obviously, that's a huge loss because it's a good, a good matchup against Oakland. That secondary has just been atrocious so far. not saying go play Anthony Fasano or anything like that, but there's definitely, you know, maybe it's a, more of a Rashard-Matthews game. And obviously, DeMarco Murray has been one of the better pass-catching running backs in the league, so I think he already had a high floor there. That maybe increases a little bit with his ceiling if there's no Walker because Walker, you're probably right, Walker is the number one target in that offense. And, I mean, you know, Mariota spreads it around a, a little bit anyway, but Sharp would be the only one, I think, that you can have tangible – uh, concrete value uh, of an increase there and Matthews is the one that could be the wild card with a big player too
2: Antonio Gates also banged up it's a hamstring injury for Gates and with Gates I think it's it's not a case where there's been enough targets going his way uh, through the first two games only nine targets so far uh, to where I see anyone getting a significant windfall from that I mean maybe we see some more Hunter Henry this week we saw it Gates score last week against Jacksonville uh, but we'll know more about his status late afternoon Friday. If he is limited at all or if he's ruled out of this one, do you see any of the receivers picking up extra targets in Gates' absence?
1: I just think they'll spread them, you know, divvy them up. I, I don't want to say evenly, but, you know, among Travis Benjamin, Tyrell Williams, who are the only ones you should really play uh, every week to begin with now with them. And obviously with Danny Woodhead going down, that's going to be a little bit of a mix up in the backfield there. Do, does Melvin Gordon get a few more receiving attempts do? They go with someone like Dexter McCluster, who they just picked up, or uh, or you know any of the other backups there. It's not it's not really a good uh, situation to really bank on one guy stepping up and really having a huge game. Just aside from the typical matchups of that Colts secondary, just like Oakland's being a really good one to take advantage of if you're a wide receiver.
2: Staying in the AFC West, uh, earlier in the week, it seemed like Jamal Charles was making a lot of progress. He's chomping at the bit to play, according to Andy Reid, but
1: it's is- champing. It's champing at the bit is the expression.
2: <laughs> it's champing.
1: Yeah, it's a horse term, you know, like they're at, you know, the, 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 the uh, bridle, I guess, that, that goes in their mouth, I guess they, they're they champing at that and they're getting excited
2: before a race. Why? Why has it's, it been changed to chomping over time? Like, why has it become the proper like it, it's not it's not the correct, but like it, it's the accepted usage.
1: Because language is dumbed down over time,
2: as we figured out with,
1: you know, selfies being in the dictionary now, that hey. sort of
2: thing. So. Well, hey, I'm educated. I didn't know Andy Reid clearly didn't know. That was a direct quote from him. Mm-hmm. I, I would have assumed it was chomping at the bit uh, because, you know, like chomp is also like a strange verb for for biting awkwardly. Right. But nevertheless, Charles, to me, seems so unlikely to play until week six. Like I I don't want to use him if he's out there in week three. You're this close to the bye. You don't need him because of Spencer Ware's presence right now. Why even risk it with Jamal Charles?
1: I, I don't think you should. Um, you know, it's a case where I I wouldn't um, even trust him that much against the Jets defense anyway. Um, yeah, and Char Kendrick West did a pretty decent job in that type of role last week to kind of change things up in, in the in the backfield production. Even if you just have those two guys splitting those roles evenly as a 50-50 instead of a you know 33 that's um, that, yeah that, that's easily a, a secure uh, thing that they've been used to already. They've done it since last year. Why would you, you know have your stud out there for a game that maybe you do want to win, but you've proven that you can kind of fill that role either and just and throw a hobble body out there to, to endanger him even more. I don't get it either.
2: Thomas Rawls had a leg contusion that he suffered on Sunday. Seven carries minus seven yards. Kristen Michael much better, uh, 10 for 60 in that matchup against the Rams. We didn't see Rawls in the practice field Wednesday or Thursday. Seattle being a West Coast team, we're not going to know until late Friday afternoon what he's able to do. But even if he's healthy enough to play, do you think this is Kristen Michaels backfield again based on the performance last week and that Rawls didn't come out of that game anywhere close to 100 percent?
1: Yeah, I would pretty much expect the week one outlook on this one. You know, maybe like if if, if Rawls is healthy, Michael gets like 60-something, 65% of the touches, and Rawls gets 30 or whatever there. Uh, yeah, I think against the Rams, I think Michael could do a lot of what he did to the Rams against uh, the 49ers. Yeah, the defense has been better than than, you know, originally thought, but I think that Seattle obviously... Can use this as a good opportunity to reestablish that running game and maybe let Wilson not have to carry a huge burden again with, with, as he you know, continues to heal up. And this is a game that I think Chris and Michael could take over, especially if if at home they do trounce San Francisco and make it a really heavy uh, running uh, game plan in the second half.
2: You know, if Seattle's offense is going to turn things around on a dime, doing it against a San Francisco defense that allowed, what, 46 points last week. To Carolina seems like the time to do it I know Russell Wilson still has the ankle problem didn't seem like he was that limited though the Rams just game plan really well uh, against Seattle you you look at this being a a fantastic matchup even for a guy like Doug Baldwin who after Sunday's loss to the Rams said his knee in medical terms quote felt like crap Um, he was back on the (laughs) practice field seems like he's going to be fine like a Wilson Baldwin duo might be pretty effective this week maybe we see some more Tyler Lockett if Baldwin has any sort of setback but I feel like this is a week where even if they're not completely fixing their problems, Seattle's going to look very competent on the offensive side of the ball for the first time this season.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see Baldwin getting back on track with that. You know, the San Francisco passing defense has has been a little bit weaker because we obviously saw Calvin Benjamin manhandle the defensive backs last week. Baldwin can have that type of effect. He's, he's obviously, for a guy who's not the tallest receiver in the world, he does uh, have a physical, uh, you know, advantage over a lot of those, you know, Normal cornerbacks, so yeah, I I, I can see Baldwin finding the end zone pretty easily.
2: Rashad Jennings uh, saying that the hand issue it could be a problem for the upcoming, I don't know, handful of games, perhaps, indicating it's not just going away, but he's going to try to play through it. Is he in danger of losing his job? Because one theory is that Paul Perkins could emerge to take over this job later this season. I know Mike Clay of ESPN was talking to one of the Giants beat writers recently. Uh, one of one of the Twitter followers who was listening to the XM show earlier pointed it out that uh, the problem seems to be that Paul Perkins isn't good in pass protection yet. And in that offense on that team, like is the case on most teams, if you can't pass protect for your quarterback, you can't play. So what are you doing as far as the Giants running backs go? Is there someone else you're investing in? Are you looking at Shane Vereen perhaps as a source of hidden value in week three? Or do you think it's going to be such a cluster that you just kind of want to stay away entirely?
1: definitely the cluster part of that I mean you know Vareen obviously in passing downs that's that's the guy they go with to begin with and obviously a rookie who can't pass protect as we've seen so many times that we've been hot on these rookies if they can't pass protect they're not going to get on the field as much so yeah I I don't really want to Pick one of the backups to really go hard on because, you know, I think that could change week to week. And, you know, we see Bobby Rainey pull these games out of nowhere in in recent times. If he has to catch a lot of passes, he could be a guy that could oddly enough take over. You know, Orleans Dark, what we saw had a couple of games last year, we're like, oh, he might be the next guy to do that. And then didn't really bank on that. So I, I just think the backup uh, picture in New York is not one I want to uh, uh, venture into because that could, you know, rotate between two or three different guys every week. I think Jennings, you know, the, the hand is obviously a little bit better of an injury it's a matter of pain tolerance, probably just, you know, but obviously, you know, holding onto the ball and having trouble with that is obviously not a good issue, and obviously Vereen fumbled uh, last week, I believe it was, so that's not going to go in his favor. So, yeah, it's the Giants' backfield is not one I really want to count on. If it's anything more than a flex play, then I would be looking to make other arrangements.
2: One injury in particular for the Monday night game that I want to keep a close eye on is Willie Snead. He's got a toe injury. He missed practice on Thursday. Of course, everything is shifted off by a day because of the Monday night game, so he could be back Friday, and it's, not, it's a non-issue But Snead has scored each of the Saints' first two games. 14 for 17 as far as hauling in targets thus far. And you're starting to see more of a push with Snead to the, hey, this guy's actually pretty good. Maybe some of us underestimated him coming into draft season. Are you buying into that? I mean, in this offense with the Saints, they, they use Cooks a ton as their one. Thomas has been getting a fair number of targets through these first two games, but they haven't really found that tight end that they want in Kobe Fleener. And we haven't seen a lot of Mark Ingram yet. I mean, do you see Willie Sneed's role being viable at eight to nine targets week to week with the Saints? Or do you see this being a nice sell high sort of opportunity if you have some Willie Sneed truthers in your league?
1: Yeah, I say it's probably peak value right now. Uh, not to say that that won't sustain itself, but I, I'd probably more safely say six minimum targets and maybe high end of nine or 10 if if the game plan really goes that way. Obviously, you know, 16.1 yards per catch, that's pretty darn good. And that's a case where I think that they really don't have that um, deep alternative that they wanted to. Michael Thomas is supposed to be that guy, but hasn't really you know, had the chance to do much. And Brandon Coleman obviously is kind of flamed out a little bit after last year. So, I mean, it, it really kind of sneeds to take. And I think Kobe Fleener, as you've seen, you know, made some pretty bad drops in the first two weeks. And, you know, he, he might've been running, running a bad route or two that really have, you know, angered Drew Brees, maybe taking him a little bit more time to learn the playbook in that sense. I would sell Snead high if I, if I'm deep at wide out and had like a running back need or a quarterback need probably, uh, but you know, I, I think it's a case where he's still going to have a good floor of a of a high three of well number three wide receiver every week. I I would I would probably see what I can cash in for him though.
2: Yeah, in the Stopa league, I'm pretty well off right now with wide receivers. I, it was an auction. I went Julio, Mike Evans, and Macklin for the first three spots. Got Sneed and Travis Benjamin cheap. So I can <laughs> I can only start four out of the five every week, and I really don't have a good RB two. I mean, Justin Forsett has started in my second running back slot each of the first two weeks, and he's currently projected to start there again this week. That's how bad my RB2 is because everything else is, is reasonably uh, well covered, especially once Gronk gets completely healthy. Like That's the other spot, two tight end league. And as part of an offer, I was looking to get Melvin Gordon. I was looking to kind of buy high on Melvin Gordon uh, with like a Jeremy Macklin type, and the counter suggestion I got, it's not offered on the table, but I feel like it could happen, uh, was with Liz Loza, who's new to the league this year, Liz said she would consider Charles for Willie Sneed, which if you think about Charles after week five and you think he can even be 85 to 90% of the player he was before he got hurt, he doesn't need perfect volume to be productive. He's averaged five yards a carry or better every season he's been in the NFL. He catches passes. He's a guy that Alex Smith very clearly trusts as a pass catcher out of the backfield. So that, that role doesn't go away that aspect of Spencer Ware's game prior to week 1 wasn't something we really thought was necessarily going to be a big part of the package. I keep going back and forth on it because I'm going to have to have a really good receiver on my bench the next 2 weeks regardless of of what I do. And if 2 weeks from now, you know, after the buy, after the week 5 buy 3 weeks from now, if Charles is looking at all like vintage Charles, I'm going to be kicking myself if I don't do it whereas if I do make the trade and he falls on his face, I, I, I guess the, the worst case scenario is like Snead does what people expected Cooks to do, and I really don't think that's going to happen.
1: I think I think that I would make that deal if I were to be honest, because you know you already have the the, the stackness and wide receiver along with Sneed. You're basically expecting him to be your number four. I think Travis Benjamin could easily sustain that role over the entire season. Obviously, given what's transpired there. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Sneed's the one I would probably cash out on right now because that production, I think, could rotate a little bit more in New Orleans. Like you said, if Mark Ingram gets going, that it might even take away even more pass attempts. So, yeah, and Charles obviously – you need a running back two, trade, trade your wide receiver four for running back two volume, which I would expect Charles to be regardless of timeshare. I'd say that's a pretty good return on your part, and I, that kind of completes your team a bit.
2: Yeah, it puts me in a much better spot, I, I think. So I should put that on the table, see if she follows through on it. It was out there a couple of days ago as something she was considering, and if she's willing to do that, I think I'm willing to do it too. But it's not a slam dunk for me. Like at, two weeks ago, before we saw Charles miss some time and run with the scout team and all that before we saw what Sneed has done, like that would have been a no-brainer, right? I mean on auction day, a cost difference in, in July was substantial. Like Sneed was a I don't know, two or three dollar player late, I think, and Charles was 20, 25 bucks at least because the expectation was that you'd get close to a full season from him. So I should probably put that offer on the table. But yeah. trades in football are hard for a lot of different yeah. reasons. You 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 really have a hard time flipping a player without ripping open another hole on your roster barring a scenario where you end up flush with extra players based on the injuries just breaking in your favor
1: see it's a funny thing i was actually just thinking about this the other day looking at some of my teams to, to see what positions i can actually trade i think going into a draft i like buying high on the players on the positions that are most uh, insurable you know like the wide receivers you know more replacements on the waiver wire quarterbacks sometimes even you can do that you can argue that but i think in season i think you're best to trade from the deepest positions because you can find a waiver wire guy so much easier like you know wide receiver you can flip them a bit more in getting a running back which obviously the top end running backs or a running back with more potential you're not going to find every week you're not going to be able to identify that every week on the waiver wire so I think flipping the the strong position for the weak position in in football is obviously I think a little bit more of an important and more uh, you know viable route to go if you're trying to improve your team and that's why you know collecting those assets on draft day those wide receivers who are going to be worth so much to just about everybody in a ppr league it's, it's that's the way to go just to trade from trade from depth
2: yeah, you can build up more depth at receiver but then on the flip side i just feel like in some leagues i'm in right now the running backs are distributed in a way where a couple teams just don't really have quality at all at the position mm-hmm. at least a couple of my teams are built that way and everything i throw out there if someone has a quality running back and they don't have that third person they really like they're just not giving up a top 20 running back for straight up value you have to like pay a tax almost to get a running back right now
1: yeah that's true i mean the market's obviously so much different this year than it has been with all the committees and stuff like that but you know a committee back could be a really high number two right now for some players so you know sometimes you kind of do have to take that sacrifice like you, like you would be for charles because we don't know his role being high but relatively to other running backs i'd still take a chance on damal charles any day of the week
2: yeah she's also got Jarek mckinnon on the bench right now too which is enticing but at the same mm-hmm. time it's like the payoff on charles Seems like it'd be bigger uh, on on the surface, like Snead for McKinnon is not an unfair offer either. But then if I take McKinnon instead of Charles, Charles comes back as Charles. I'm going to kick myself like all day for that. (laughs) It's it's a crap dilemma. I hate it. Uh, Some other Mm. injury items to get to Arian Foster slowed by a groin injury. It doesn't look like he's going to play. I thought I saw doubtful next to his name. There's no reason to throw him out there because for me, the Dolphins can handle the Browns pretty capably even without Arian Foster.
1: Yeah, I think we'll also see more Jay Ajayi this week because the, game, the pace of game last week, obviously, I know Ajayi, I believe he fumbled at least once last week, but you know, Kenyon Drake being in there, that was more of a gimmicky type of play for passing downs because they were in a comeback mode against New England. I could see Ajayi being a really you know, 15 and carry-ish player this week and kind of really really reestablishing the, the, the reasons why we liked him before the foster trade happened. So yeah, I, I think the Browns uh, are going to pose no resistance to that running game or passing him. I think Miami actually really explodes this week.
2: I, I think it's a great spot for them, especially with Landry and Parker, both healthy. Parker showing quite a bit as the mm-hmm. uh, Dolphins kind of rallied to put up some points against the Patriots last week. I know the Patriots had a big lead at halftime, but uh, the garbage time production, if that's what you want to call it. In that case, I don't know if it was full on garbage time as much as it was just all passes and it kind of worked for Miami. Mm-hmm. They opened the season with Seattle and New England on the road. Like you you can't have a more difficult first two games than Miami did. So they're one of those teams at Owen two that I don't want to write off yet, and certainly against Cleveland. Nobody's writing them off there, but overall this year, I still want to watch them closely and see if they're good enough to take a big step forward under Adam Gase this year. Uh, A couple Mm -hmm. more injuries to get to. This is another AFC East one. Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker are both banged up. Decker's shoulder doesn't seem to be quite as serious as Marshall's knee. Both could be game-time decisions, though, against the Chiefs this week.
1: Yeah, I mean the Chiefs' defense obviously not what it not what it has been without Justin Houston and you know Tomaholli has been banged up a little bit, but yeah, that that that's a passing offense that you that's not going to be really good with either of those guys. I mean you know Quincy Nunwa is you know had a couple of of nice games early on, but do you think I think that's more so because of the fact that he's the number three and he's mostly the one that has found himself open in situations. I don't think he's a guy that could succeed as a number one or number two, uh, on his own and, and, you know, gain separation, you know, in his own talent wise. So I think that's very important to the Ryan Fitzpatrick's game plan. And obviously noon was value in general. And obviously you're going to start these guys just about any week anyway. So that's, that's, that's when you have to be watching and really, really keep your alternatives, uh, you know, on your bench, ready to go at that point.
2: Quick update. The, uh, offers on the table i've i've put the Mm. i've put it out there i've dangled i've dangled the sneed charles trade which doesn't seem brave at all but i feel like i'm doing something that's like taking a step like taking a leap of faith that sneeds more the guy i thought he was when i got him and not somebody more than that uh elshon jeffrey also banged up tim if he's out the bears are just completely helpless against the cowboys on sunday night
1: Yeah, I I mean, you want want to make it like that Brian Hoyer is a competent quarterback, but he needs Jeffrey in there to actually do anything that I would constitute him being a useful player on. And, you know, Dallas's defense has actually done okay with their patchwork stuff. Rod Malerinelli is actually pretty good at working with very little uh, up front, and they've obviously had very little up front. To work with but I, I you know the Cowboys this week I think look in a, to be in a pretty decent spot to at least win if not uh, if not cover most lines there
2: yeah Jeffrey limited in practice on Friday so it sounds like there's at least a decent chance he'll go the problem that being the Sunday night game is that you're not going to have a lot of great options to fall back on so mm. check the waiver wire accordingly you know find depth options maybe in the Atlanta New Orleans game or possibly if Kevin White's been dropped in a shallow league maybe he's the kind of guy that emerges for more targets If uh, if in fact Jeffrey has to set this one out, but looks like he's on the slightly more probable side of questionable based on Friday's participation Uh, last injury. I want to get to Stefan Diggs missed Friday's practice for what head coach Mike Zimmer is calling precautionary reasons. No particular injury has been disclosed yet. Zimmer added that he's confident. He thinks Diggs will play in Sunday's game against Carolina. Uh, So we'll see if he's actually on the official injury report that has not been released just yet. Uh, if it were an illness I feel like they would have sent him home so maybe there is like a small like hamstring tweak or something like that that we have to be on the lookout for with Diggs.
1: yeah that's gonna be one of the players you're gonna watch all weekend and you know as we talked about Diggs becoming you know the focal point of this offense with Sam Bradford there now losing Diggs for any amount of time that kind of puts (laughs) a little bit more pressure on on Bradford to make more on, on his own and I don't know if he can do that and that running game is obviously in flux right now with with mckinnon and uh, matt asiata so uh yeah it's and carolina is obviously a dangerous matchup for for the front of that offense but i think Diggs could actually do something against those uh, cornerbacks that are a little more inexperienced if he can actually get separation but you know what what's the hobbling going to be if he's even injured so it, you know i have to kind of watch and see what the beat reporters say all all that stuff
2: that to me would be the straw that breaks the camel's back for the vikings offense because ap wasn't good in their first two games and, and mm-hmm. not not having him is certainly not a good thing for them but at least in jarek mckinnon they have an explosive back that could be capable of making some big plays, and Asiata's just a short yardage guy for me, just the kind of guy that only takes, a value, or takes value away from Jarek McKinnon, but nevertheless, it's, uh, it, it could just be one, one break too many if Diggs were to miss significant time at any point. We'll see if this turns out to be a minor problem for him or not. You're staring at your weekly fantasy opponent. You're thinking to yourself, I would love to challenge just one of his players, not his entire team, but your fantasy sports service doesn't allow you to do that. Now you can on the all-new No Halftime app. The No Halftime app allows you to create individual challenges using players or teams. For example, you can pit Odell Beckham versus Antonio Brown, Cam Newton versus Aaron Rodgers, or even Zeke Elliott versus Todd Gurley. Creating a challenge takes seconds and accepting challenges is even easier. No Halftime challenges can be private or public and created for NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, PGA, and other sports. Visit NoHalftime.com for more information and to download the No Halftime app for your iPhone or Android device. Use promo code ROTOFF16 and you receive a 100% bonus, up to $25. Real money and fantasy supremacy awaits you, no halftime. where the fantasy sports season, never takes a break. Join today and get started. Uh, as far as lingering storylines go, approaching week three, there's one that's kind of carried over from last season, and I didn't expect that to be the case. And I have to ask you, as, a, as someone who's an unbiased observer, because most of the people I talk to, our Packer fans, what is wrong with the Green Bay offense? I mean, to me, Aaron Rodgers just didn't play well in week two, but he played pretty well in week one, and they didn't look right against the Jacksonville defense that got stomped by San Diego, Sands, Keenan Allen in week two. So now my entire world is upside down, Tim. We're seeing Randall Cobb. (laughs) I mean, Randall Cobb is averaging a similar number per target through two games as he did a year ago. Jordy Nelson's not stretching the field as much as he used to before the injury. That's not a major surprise. And it doesn't mean he won't do it later on in the year. It just means so far he's not being used that way. Is it a case where Mike McCarthy's offense just hasn't changed enough, hasn't evolved enough, and opposing defenses now have a blueprint that works? I mean, maybe maybe Wade Phillips solved it last year midseason, that game at Denver, that Sunday night game. Maybe that was a turning point, and we're just at a point now where Green Bay is, is not the you know, 2011 to 2014 offensive juggernaut that we expected them to be.
1: I think you're kind of along the lines of what I'm thinking with that. Um, Obviously two, two road games, you know, one against the Vikings being, you know, probably one of the better defenses in the national football league. And they, I think they probably, Mike Zimmer's developed a pretty good book on how to, uh, counter mike mccarthy's stubborn play calling and you know um kind of limit the upside of that offense what they can do um you know rogers still got a rushing touchdown but you know he's gonna do that once in a while that's a that's part of his game plan um but you, i think you when you said before the packers not stretching the field that that's pretty much the big problem it's rogers only has i believe 5.9 yards per attempt so far the lowest you know, by a long shot in his career, you know, obviously the last year he's playing through a little bit of injury. The footwork was an issue. Uh, you know, that could obviously affect, you know, downfield throwing strength. Obviously that, that picked to Devontae Adams to end the game. I don't know if that was more of an Adams route botch than it was a Rogers just missed throw. What what was your read on that final play?
2: That to me, that? That, that, that to me just seemed like a bad throw. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the route made it look like a bad throw, but it seemed like Rogers was just missing his targets regularly. And that seemed like one of those instances to me.
1: Yeah. And, Obviously they don't have that other guy that can really stretch the field like, you know, Jordy Nelson. Looks a little bit like himself because he has caught a touchdown. I believe in his first two games. Great red zone guy, regardless of of what physical uh, abilities he has. But he's not that guy that you're going to have that 70 yard bomb right now and really just kind of keep defenses honest. The press, not I don't know if it's press coverage necessary, but definitely just you know the the, the man on man is actually I think more so working to kind of limit the downfield uh, opportunities that Green Bay has. Uh, you know maybe the do the Packers try to find that third guy that you know Jeff Janis. We saw that as a very different offense when he was in there during the postseason, caught a couple of really nice downfield plays. But obviously, he's kind of in the doghouse right now. Maybe that's McCarthy's uh, stubbornness going there. Do they have Ty Montgomery try to do something now that he made a play in special teams, maybe he'll win more that way. Jared Aberderis, is he even worth anything? Maybe they just, they have, maybe Jared Cook's the X factor with this, as we've talked about on the show before, the fact that he's a field stretcher as well. finding Finally finding a team that can use him consistently would be good for him and his fantasy value. Cook could be that next guy if they actually want to make something happen. They have him with Richard Rodgers on the field a bit more often. Maybe they work that way. It's they got to find a little bit more depth to really challenge downfield and make defenses actually fear Rodgers' arm again.
2: Yeah, I think the the key is either to run like Ty Montgomery downfield because Jeff Janis still has that broken hand. So he's playing with a club so he can play special mm-hmm. teams, but he can't play receiver that way. He's got at least one more week uh, with that setup. Montgomery getting downfield, Jared Cook getting downfield, anything that just manipulates the coverage would be good. And I feel like McCarthy has settled into this rut where he just keeps doing the same thing over and over again, thinking that Rodgers you know, still has the superior arm strength and accuracy and decision-making ability to make it work, but it's entirely possible that Rodgers is just in the beginning of what should be a very graceful decline, and the personnel around him has deteriorated because of Nelson's injury, because of various ailments to Randall Cobb. Cobb's the most surprising one of all to me, though. Just by having Nelson back on the field, I thought we'd see more from Cobb, and maybe we will this week. We're not at the point yet in most season-long situations where I would sit him down, but he's on notice. I mean, 11 catches for 99 yards on 15 targets to this point, Six point six yards per target after six point four yards per target a year ago. I want to see him go vertical. I know he's not big, but he's the kind of player that when he does get into the second level, I feel like he can make big plays still. And they just don't really give him opportunities to let that happen.
1: It's not a very big offense when it comes to like seam routes, and he can just kind of you know be slippery and 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 find that you know just straight downfield route. I mean, but this week you figured against Detroit, they could do a lot with that sort of that sort of play because, you know, they're facing Nevin Lawson and, and Quante Diggs uh, of the Lions secondary besides, you know, Slay probably is going to be covering Jordy Nelson most of the time. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good week for Cobb to really just expose the middle of that Detroit secondary and, and have like eight or so catches. I mean, do, do you want to bet heavily on that? No, but that's definitely a, not a not a play that most people would be considering to be a productive one.
2: Yeah, that's it, – it, it's uh, maybe the matchup this week just makes them look better for a little while, but they – they didn't look good against the Lions last year either. I mean, they had Mm-mm. the Hail Mary, obviously, on Thursday night. Without that, they lose that game. They lost it home to the Lions last year. It's just I, I'm having a difficult time determining how much of their struggles this year are actually structural problems or how much of it is just rust and not having everybody back for very long. I mean, Nelson didn't play in the preseason, so maybe just some of the, some of the, some of the scheme, some of the play calling is just different. I I don't I don't really know what it is, but they I think it's fair to say they're just not the same team anymore. And they might bounce back, but bounce back to what is always the question. And maybe they bounce back to being a top seven or top eight offense, but I don't think they're going to be top two or top three anymore.
1: No, I don't think so. And you can't blame the offensive line either because they've been pretty darn good, even with all the changeover they've had. So it's definitely schematic and personnel related on, on the skill positions. So yeah, I, I think you know you you hope the top ten bounce back at least. And yeah, I don't think they're going anywhere near the top five. But you know, a top ten is still a good level for Jordy and Cobb to return to. So
2: yeah, they're still very useful for a fantasy uh, from mm-hmm. a fantasy standpoint at that, but not quite the. Oh, just not quite the level that we were hoping for as uh, as draft season rolled along. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One common lineup question that I've been getting, and it, it's it's just like a higher end question in, in the sense of a, a high end player, AJ Green against Denver. I mean, does he actually sit? If your if your next option is you know like a Deshaun Jackson type, perhaps, or Travis Benjamin. Quincy and Nunwa, I mean are you looking at players that if Inunua's value hinges on Decker and Marshall playing or not playing for me but even like a Travis Benjamin player like would you play Benjamin against the Colts over AJ Green against Denver this week
1: oh uh, I will I wouldn't play him over I, I I don't think I would bench AJ Green regardless I mean obviously Aqib Talib would probably be on him maybe Chris Harris if they do move Green around a bit Um, I don't know green greens matchup proof, even though it didn't work out against Pittsburgh, I chalk that up to that being a divisional game and the scheming being really good on both sides with with Antonio Brown, you know, falling flat as well. I I don't know. Bengals being at home, Denver being on the road. And I, I think there's a little bit of more weakness to that secondary this year. Uh, you know, Demarcus Ware being out, I think is going to help the passing game a lot too. So I, I think that they'll be able to find Green for at least one big play. He'll find some sort of mismatch one on one, and uh, and that's a case where I, I I wouldn't bench Green, and I would I would try to slide Benjamin to my lineup either way. Uh, but I don't know, it, it's, it's a lot to ask for me to bench AJ Green in a home matchup like that.
2: So here's another uh, odd question pertaining to some news that's been circulating in the last uh, ten hours or so. The Bucks plan to release Austin Safarian Jenkins following a, a misdemeanor or arrest. DUI and if you look at Safarian Jenkins the talent has never been the problem but it's off field it's clashes with coaches he has to go through the waiver process I have to think a team at least one will claim him off waivers and maybe several because the talent is is just so much uh, that you, you can't you can't overlook him right I mean unless there's stuff we don't know about with him that goes beyond you know the DUI and some other things he seems like the kind of player that has a role somewhere in the league
1: Oh, yeah, I think so. Some some teams that are just kind of really just flocking tight ends, you know, without any real purpose there. Like, do you does he land with maybe a team like uh, let's hmm, I, I guess maybe someone like maybe if the Arizona Cardinals actually want to feature a tight end. But that's a team that kind of features that likes to have the, the tight ends that just block more so than anything else. And. Yeah, I think Jenkins, Samarian Jenkins, has to land somewhere. He'll be a number two for for a lot of teams that would have him. But he could be that top option in the passing game. And you know, even though being number two on the uh, on the depth chart, you know, do the Houston Texans upgrade? Even though Ryan Griffin had a decent game the other night, is that a case where you just try to take a chance because you notice your passing game isn't? As deep as you want it to be or yeah, I mean what do you do you foresee any you have a hint on anything like that you would think he might land with or
2: I mean Houston seems like a a fit. Maybe Pittsburgh would be interested, throwing him in in the mix there. Mm. I don't know how quickly he would emerge to have a role, how long it would take him to learn a new offense, but there's at least four or five teams that make a lot of sense. Um you know, Oakland I think is fine, but what about like the Jets? Like if, if the Jets took him and threw him in there behind Marshall and Decker and Anunua as, mm. as their primary tight end after giving up on on Jason Morrow essentially. The Giants over Larry yeah. uh The Saints, if they really don't believe in Kobe Fleener, I guess, would be kind of like down-ballot candidates mm. to maybe make a move. I don't think the Rams would do it, even though they could use weapons and Lance Kendricks and uh, Tyler Higbee seem like the guys they, they like at that position. Right. Uh, the Colts probably wouldn't do it. The Packers maybe would do it. I mean, if you don't have to rely <laughs> yeah. on them right away, like if If they don't think Jared Cook's the guy that they they brought in, then why not? I mean, the, the cost on Safarian Jenkins will be, I would assume, borderline negligible.
1: Yeah, I'd love to have him in a vertical offense. I think Houston would be great for that because that would obviously take advantage of his of his great um, you know red zone ability and, and height there. So yeah, I, I don't know if I'd want him in like a West Coast uh type of setup because you know, I don't know if he has the route running uh co- you know consistency to do that. But yeah, I think that that's a weapon that you definitely could take a, a gamble on as like your third tight end if, if you like I said if, like you said, you can wait on a guy like that to learn.
2: Arizona, Chicago also I guess you could play him over Zach Miller and then that could be uh just mm. fine. Uh, let's talk about some uh, players we like this weekend on DraftKings. My advice overall, looking back at week two, wasn't very good. So if, if everyone's fading me, I completely understand why uh, based on performance. But looking at the quarterback position as we, we kick things off. You know, where are you interested in investing this week?
1: Well, I, I originally was going to say Blake Bortles is a backup option, but the more injuries I see from that offense against Baltimore, I'm not really liking it as much, but I do value the the, the contrarianism that we've talked about going with last week's bums type of plays, uh, even though, you know, Bortles, Allen Robinson stack, you know, rates pretty highly on the optimizer, I'd say, but I think I want to go with uh, big Ben uh, this week at, at Philadelphia. I think the Eagles, um, you know, obviously I think their defense has improved a lot, but they haven't been tested by anyone really, um, uh, you know, strong in the in the first two weeks of the season. You know, going Cleveland and Chicago, and then going to Big Ben and, and Antonio Brown. In that sense, I think it's going to be a huge wake up call for that uh that secondary. And I think Brown is going to rebound after that 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 big uh, disappointment last week.
2: Yeah, I think that that's um that's where I would like to go as like a cash play at least. And the, yeah. other, the other quarterback I'm, I'm interested in is Russell Wilson, seventy one hundred. I think is a nice low price. And the ankle injury maybe is a factor right now, but it sounds like Doug Baldwin's going to be fine, as we talked about when discussing injuries earlier and you know you've got five quarterbacks priced ahead of them newton rogers luck rothberger palmer a whole matchup against the san francisco defense that to me just isn't very good seems like just what the doctor ordered as far as russell wilson getting back on track i do like philip rivers at 6700 for me chargers colts will be a very high scoring game and it doesn't even matter if Vontae davis plays or not i I just think that game is going to be absolute pinball in indy this week
1: Sure. Oh, absolutely. And I guess I'll talk about more of the Chargers guys in a bit. I'm guessing we both will.
2: Mariota's is only fifty nine hundred, though. I think that game, Tennessee, Oakland should be a pretty good one. The big question for me is just how good is Tennessee's defense? If their defense is legitimately good, then my interest in Mariota week to week probably needs to be dialed back slightly mm-hmm. because they may not be in a position where they have to throw a lot. And they are built to run it quite a bit with Murray and Henry. But I love the skills, and 5900 is just a really nice low price for a guy that could be effective in GPPs. You know, if Delaney Walker's down, maybe you could pair Mariota with Tajay Sharp and get a really cheap combo that opens up a lot of money for the likes of Antonio Brown and some of the other top players on the on the board this week.
1: Oh, absolutely, definitely. Uh, especially with with what we're about to talk about with running back, I think the passing game you can invest a little bit
2: heavier. in. <laughs> are you going after Eli Manning at all against Washington?
1: I've, I've thought about playing the also the going back to that well because that was my big play last week was uh, you know Beckham and um, and Manning against the Saints obviously that did not fall flat. I, I could see that really paying off. I could see a lot of people also going back to that, although I can also see the fading because the Josh Norman talk about him you know shadowing Beckham could draw some people away so maybe that's a GPP play actually if, if you think that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, a little bit of a contrarian or lower ownership than expected number on Beckham if uh, that Norman matchup materializes as expected the other cheap quarterback i'm interested in looking a little further down the price list Dak prescott 5700 mm-hmm. Home matchup against the bears hasn't thrown his first nfl td yet but it seems like this is going to be a great time for that to happen we talked about the game plan a lot last week of course and in the ex- expectation that des would be heavily targeted of course that materialized the bears defense is banged up it's not a very good unit their offense may not be able to sustain drives with that, I think Dak can get you like 225, 230, maybe a couple passing TDs and some rushing yardage as well. So I think at 5,700, he's at least on my radar for a big field GPP.
1: Yeah, I, I can go with that. Uh, you know, the Bears definitely don't have a defense that's capable of stopping either the run or the pass. I think it really depends on whether you want to go with the Dak Prescott or if you want to go with one of your more expensive backs with Ezekiel Elliott. But, you know, the Prescott one, I think, is obviously going to pay off a little bit more if it, if it, if it hits.
2: Moving on to the running back position, I mean D'Angelo Williams at seventy five hundred, if you can afford it, I like it. If you can't quite afford that, but you can get CJ Anderson for two hundred less. Go Anderson with your R B one. Are you looking at Todd Gurley at seventy one hundred against the Bucks as a good bounce back candidate this week? We're not getting that much of a price break on him just yet, but at the same time, I wonder if there's a hesitation. Uh, across the dfs community and investing in him right now given the way this season has started
1: yeah gbp play i think it works for him with with me there i mean the buccaneers they they faced uh you know arizona they you know arizona was running the clock down a lot in that game so they definitely gave up a lot of points there uh and first off to atlanta they they actually were okay against atlanta but they gave up a lot of receiving plays so you know i think Gurley will catch a few passes this week and that's obviously worth paying off in the sense of like you said like the gpp play i don't know about straight cash game though i think there's a lot more profitable running back options besides Gurley. i want to maybe maybe in those games i would do want to wait a bit to see what Gurley's gonna do
2: it's times like these i really wish i had a straight cash homie drop to play that would be very very <laughs> appropriate uh zeke elliott 6900 against the bears if even if you don't want to buy into dak if you, you want to invest in the cowboys you don't want to go quarterback receiver Zeke should run wild over the Bears. It's only a matter of time. I kind of think this is a a false doghouse in some ways. Maybe uh, one suggestion from from Maria Puig on the XM show was just that you know the time he missed with a hamstring injury during camp has led to a conditioning problem where he's just not quite as explosive as we expected out of the gates. But if there were ever a time for him to bounce back, it would be this matchup against the Bears at home, where the Cowboys should be protecting the lead. At a price that's four hundred dollars below where he's been priced at in each of the first two weeks.
1: Right. And people forget Alfred Morris is a pretty darn good running back too, and they were playing the Redskins and Elliott had fumbled a bit, needed a break, and Morris is a great insurance policy to have anyway. So I I don't I think that's a I don't know if it's a one-time thing, but I think that was a case where maybe it's a special exception. That Elliott lost a red zone carry in that sense, so I, I wouldn't read too much into what happened last week for Elliott's long term value. I do think that there's a lot for him to gain. I think he gets at least 20 carries this week to, against that Bears uh, at Bears defense, and uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I'd rather have Elliott than, than than speculate on Dak. I think.
2: they might run it 30 times and if Morris gets 10 carries Morris at 3,700 isn't completely off the table for me like that the only Mm -hmm. thing is he he doesn't really catch passes because he's not really asked to do that but Mm -hmm. that is even a consideration because I think the Bears are just that awful as a team uh, right now Uh, what else do you like at at running back this week though I think we're both on Ellie I think we're both on Melvin Gordon too just given that it's a soft matchup against the Colts but that's probably a cash play. I don't. Th- I don't think you can do it in tournaments, but in terms no. of cash, he might be a top five running back or top three running back, even based on that price.
1: I think you really do have to kind of pick where you want to go with the Chargers' offense because I think that there's a little bit more flexibility running back to avoid Gordon if you have to. I mean, obviously, you and I, uh, you and I have a, uh, do agree on some of the really cheaper options that are really profitable at running back this week. It's kind of why I want to keep spending up on the passing game because you have, you know, theoretically at forty nine hundred might be one of the best values out there right now. Um, you know, obviously he's a serving lead back duties, might lose some, might lose some red zone, but this is a PPR. So 4,900, still a great profit, you know, in that sense, uh, you know, Jarek McKinnon's one I, I do like, but I do worry a bit about how that game pace might go. Um, obviously McKinnon against Carolina would be an, a logical PPR play because they, they probably would stop more of the interior guys, but then you have Charles Sims at 4,900, which is also, you know, a, a, a guy where I want to take advantage of volume with, uh, as well, um, Tampa Bay playing, obviously the Rams. You know, going. I think they're a little bit weaker against the run than they showed the, the, them to be otherwise. And obviously, seems to catch a lot of passes, so that's another good reason to go there. I mean, the Carolina play, uh backfield is is probably going to be one of the more um, make or break types in DFS this week. I think Whittaker thirty eight is a good price, but Cameron Artis Payne's supposed to start for whatever that means. That that that's a game pace based decision. What, what which? If you had to pick a Carolina back, which one do you think is the best this week?
2: I think I'd play artis Payne because I. I almost wonder if the Panthers want to figure out how good he really is. Like, I question how good he is, and I think if they have a lead, they want to see what he can do. Can he protect the ball? Can he get four plus yards per carry? I don't want to invest in either one of their backup their their backup options because Cam can run the ball in close. Tolbert could make a, a rare appearance at the stripe. I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong, even though those prices are low. Jarek McKinnon to me at 3,800 is the the lower end back that I, I like quite a bit. Uh, because I think the game flow, if you expect Carolina to win this game easily, that doesn't hurt McKinnon. He'll catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. Given the lack of quality options behind Stephon Diggs, if Diggs doesn't play, mm. McKinnon's could probably be even more busy throughout this one. So you could even go like McKinnon, Charles Sims. And I wouldn't I wouldn't hate that because Charles Sims, he's a great pass catcher. If the Bucks have a lead, he's going to get all the carries or most of the carries. They're not going to run Jacquez Rogers. Like Charles Sims well, almost seems game flow proof at this point.
1: I think so. I mean, the the one tiny tiny caveat I'm gonna throw in is that Dirk Cutter did mention Rogers when he was talking about. It. Obviously, this goes along with the coach people we keep talking about. But he did coach him in Atlanta, and he did throw them in an opportune in, at inopportune times for fantasy owners a lot of the time. That's I'm not saying it's you know downgrade Sims a ton, but I think 49. Removes a little bit of the profit if you're really going to include Rodgers in like five to ten touches. But I'm, 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 I'm still on the Sims bandwagon for that case. I mean, like a dynamic uh, player in space if you give it to him. And I think Winston's going to probably need to rein things in a little bit after all those turnovers last week. And Sims is a great guy to help him do that. You're
2: giving a thumbs up to Theo Riddick at the uh, $4,900 price tag against the league leading run defense in Green Bay.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. He, he, was, he was one of my number one uh, picks for for running backs.
2: Yeah, Yeldon Fest uh, in week one, I think, is part of the reason why that Packers run defense looks so good. But they did contain mm-hmm. AP very effectively before the injury on Sunday night. Uh, moving over to the wide receiver position, the Antonio Brown bounce back. I, I like that at 9600 but that's a very steep price. You look a little further down, Beckham at 9100 is okay. Might be low-owned in tournaments against Washington. Des at 8,400 is not bad at all against the Bears. Probably not going to go off for a monster like two or three TD game, but could be safe enough in cash at 8,400 where you want to do that. Uh, You start looking a little further down, though, and that's where you see the receivers you really want to go after. What do you think of Allen Robinson at 7,500? I I recommended him last week, and it didn't really work out, but do you think it's just a case where you keep going back to the well and eventually you're going to be rewarded with Allen Robinson?
1: (laughs) I I sure hope so because I've listed him as well. I mean, 20 targets in the first two games. You know, the Jags had some some things to deal with in that time. As I said before, I do kind of worry about, you know, the the offensive line injuries in this game. D- does that, you know, give Bortles even less time to make throws, or does it just reinforce the fact that the running game is pretty bad and they're going to they're gonna throw a bit more? I don't think Chris Ivory, re- if he re- does return, it's not going to change the game plan all that much. Maybe, maybe in close it would, but not for where you use Allen Robinson most of the time anyway. But, yeah, I, I think 7,500 is still – Still a discount. I think this might be one of the last few weeks that you can get a discount out of him because I do think he he's he's bound to rebound at some point. I think against Baltimore is a pretty good thing. I, I think he's got the physicality to overcome Jimmy Smith as well in a matchup.
2: I do like Mike Evans still at seven thousand. Mm-hmm. That's a nice price. And I'm not usually a Jarvis Landry guy, but DraftKings being full PPR sixty six hundred on Landry this week against the Browns just seems like a great play.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, Parker's only forty nine hundred. If you want to trust what he did last week as well, I mean, obviously the Browns secondary you know remember the days when joe hayden used to be the guy that you'd avoid
2: he was he was that guy at one point pepperidge farm remembers for sure <laughs> pepperidge farm never forgets <laughs> uh, a couple other names that i think are intriguing at that wide receiver position marvin jones if sam shields is down again i think marvin jones at 6200 can be a wide receiver one at a slightly discounted price are you going after jeremy macklin at six thousand, given the struggles of darrell revis these first two games
1: Oh yeah. I think Macklin's a solid play as well. And, you know, Revis Island is, he's getting kicked off his island. I I didn't have time to make a joke today about that. So I'm just going to say he's definitely not looking like the way he used to. And he does, I think Revis needs help now in the secondary. And I don't know if Macklin, you know, Macklin I think has the skill to overcome that sort of uh, even, even that coverage because I don't think the Jets secondary aside from Revis is, is all that great. And, yeah, I think it's a good game for the Chiefs to really do some damage on offense.
2: Anything else? Uh, cheap at wide receiver, you know, Philip Dorsett at forty four hundred, Tyrell Williams yeah. at forty three hundred. Interest in either or both of those guys?
1: I just trust San Diego's offense more in that game, so I would I would probably go with Williams if I don't des- if I decide not to use Gordon. And you know, obviously, probably pair Rivers with him would be a good idea as well. Um, I th- what is doing with, with Dorsett is that he might line up against Jason Verrett because if T. Y. Hilton would slide into the slot a lot um you know how's how's that receiver lineup gonna go there uh hilton could do more damage in the slot because that would obviously be the weaker corner he'd be facing but that's something that makes me a little hesitant on doorstep but i still think the volume could be there anyway with targets he could, probably should get seven or eight targets at least uh in that in that game plan especially if you think san diego's really gonna control the pace of the game
2: at the worst position in the game right now tight end <laughs> what, what are you what are you doing there are you going cheap Are you paying up for Reed at 6500 or do you like some of the uh, like the sub four thousand dollar tight ends
1: well, you know, I'm I'm going to stay in the wheelhouse of um, Dennis Pitta, uh, finally, you know, coming back to 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 use futility, and his price is not reflecting it just yet. I mean, no one no no one's price in tight ends really reflecting anything. At 3,400, I really can't pass that that target volume up. Um, you know, J- uh, Jacob Tammy, even if, if you're if you're playing a Monday night game and includes that one. Uh, obviously, Saints been a little vulnerable against tight ends. Uh, and Clive Waller being a 2,800, I think that's the one that a lot of people are going to try to just you know quote-unquote punt, but really have a good situation there. If you want to go against the grain, uh, Vance McDonald against Seattle at 2,900. Only real Niners target there. Um, You know, Seattle has had some weaknesses against tight ends in the past that are are heavily involved. Obviously, McDonald, one catch 75 yards touchdown, not heavily involved, but I want to watch what Eric Ebron does if he suits up because, you know, the Packers have had a little bit of weakness against tight ends so far as well.
2: Yeah, that's been an ongoing problem for them for the better part of like five years, it feels like, (laughs) where they've had some trouble covering opposing teams' tight ends. Uh, Defensively, I'm all about the Dolphins. I just think the Browns are on shutout watch. I don't care if it's chalky. Dolphins are cheap. They're only 3,000. Corey Coleman's out. Cody Kessler is starting quarterback a year or two earlier than expected for anyone. And this is just bad personnel, bad setup. A hungry Miami team looking for its first win at home for the first time this year. The Dolphins, to me, should show up in a big way and not only get to Kessler, but force some turnovers I don't hate their special teams either so I I just think 3000 that's that's like the must play defense this week.
1: the ninth most expensive defense that's a bargain absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's not, it's just not not priced in that that Cody Kessler is starting. Um uh, mm-hmm. you, you like the Cowboys though as a contrarian defense if you want to kind of go away from the Dolphins.
1: I can imagine like a 75 80% ownership in a lot of this for the Dolphins for for the GPPs uh, you know once again the Cowboys you know they've shown some um yeah, you know, a bit of a pass rush, which I'm surprised and I've been even more surprised about the cornerback play in Dallas. Claiborne and uh Brandon Carr have actually held everyone in check a little bit. Uh you know, they, they 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 tempered Beckham for a little little while there. And if no Jeffrey they're they're really gonna have no trouble, I think controlling kevin wider who else would be there so yeah as long as as long as a cornerback play is, is going to be a good matchup in their favor I, I i see the cowboys kind of limiting chicago to maybe 10 points if anything happens with uh, if hoyer has to if, if um sorry if jeffrey can't go
2: we got one more bit of breaking news that just scrolled by on twitter as i was getting ready to sign us off and it's uh, out of boston sources have confirmed a torn right thumb ligament for jacoby Brissett. Not even not even kidding. Is that Tim?
1: Is that a parody account or what is that? That
2: is that is actually a real (laughs) account from uh, Mike Petraglia who covers uh, Patriots for W.E.E.I. in Boston. Like that is actually a real thing. And I assume that just means they're going to force Garoppolo back out of the field in week four.
1: Yeah, I I, I guess you kind of have to at that point. Uh, you, You got one more week without Brady. Garabo can go use him, or you know Julian Edelman could step in. Who knows?
2: Watch, go go watch some of Edelman's highlights from playing quarterback yep. at Kent State. It's actually a pretty pretty fun seven minute plunge into uh, some Mac action from maction from about seven action. years ago now. I think it was uh, another funny thing too. And this is something I learned yesterday watching said YouTube clips. Is Joshua Cribbs and Julian Edelman are the two quarterbacks in Kent State history to rush for a thousand yards and pass for a thousand yards in the same season
1: <laughs> what's cribs up to these days
2: <laughs> probably making cameos in the league still as, uh, as maybe he's in the league i haven't watched that show in a while uh, maybe...
1: the, the league ended actually but he's, he still might be showing up
2: oh yeah he's just on <laughs> set like waiting he's like hey where is everybody we're doing a show yeah I, I don't know i thought he'd be around the league a bit longer as a special team specialist but you know it's it is what it is those players tend to burn out pretty fast i guess it's gonna wrap things up for the Roadwire Fantasy Football podcast sponsored by nohalftime.com, Nick and I are back with you on Monday. Good luck in week 3.